Turn to Colossians chapter 2. I pray that you brought your Bible. I've been very lax in reminding you to bring your Bibles. I shouldn't have to, but I like to, to make sure that uh, you guys keep doing that. Your Bibles and your notebooks and a pen or pencil to write stuff down. Um, We do that because uh, we're going to forget 90% of what's said here today. So when things are said, when scriptures are referenced, it's a really good idea to just jot them down really quick. I have a tendency to start talking fast as I preach. So it's a great way to just write something down. What, what verse did he say? Oh, okay, I'll write that down. Colossians 2, which is where you're turning. Colossians 2, and then uh, I'll listen to all the fast things he's going to say. So as you turn to Colossians 2, I am, I am really excited uh, this year. Not because um, it, it won't, the sun won't shine. It looks like the sun's shining now, but uh, that's probably the third day this year that we've actually seen the sun um, I'm excited for the state fair. Do you guys love the state fair? See, when I was growing up in California, I had county fairs. And I would go to that, and they were fun. You know, you go to the county fair or the strawberry festival in, in Santa Maria where I grew up. It's known for their strawberries. Um, they'd have a strawberry festival. A lot of fun. But then I came here to the New York state fair, blew it out of the water. Like 15 times bigger. The entertainment was top-notch. I mean, it's just crazy. Huge. The food was... Uh, spectacular. I mean, it's just a a day to enjoy walking around new stuff. And one of my favorite parts of the New York State Fair, besides the maple soft serve ice cream, and I am telling you, if you do nothing else at the State Fair, get yourself some maple soft serve ice cream, um, is the Center of Progress Building. You guys love the Center of Progress Building? The most ironic name in the world, because in the 15 years I've been going there, there has been no progress. (laughs) The Center of Progress Building is the place where you go and you see all the stuff that they're trying to peddle to you, you know? Life-changing, earth-shattering products that you just simply cannot live without. I remember one of the first years I went, I bought this special mop. And uh, it was like a long, it was like a chamois on a, on, a, on a stick. And it would absorb anything. You know, the guy's like doing stuff. He's like, and then, and then he squeezes it out. All the wa- and like all the water is... is I got to have one. And if you buy one, you got a second one for free. Two mops. Who doesn't need two mops? So you sit there and they got their little spiel and they got some linoleum and some tile. And then you got that. Then you got the, uh, the mix and chop thing. You remember that bowl with a handle on it? And you see the guy's like, oh yeah, just throw a couple tomatoes in there. Just throw a couple jalapenos in there. And, brrr, and you got salsa and you try the salsa. And you're like, oh my gosh, it's the best salsa I've ever had in my life. So you buy it and you take it home and you start doing the thing and the tomato gets all mashed and mushy. Like all of a sudden it doesn't cut and the, the, the onions are all, and you just got the big mess. Like this is not good. Like what? And they, and they gave you two of them because you buy when you get one free because they can't get rid of that stuff fast enough. What happened? What happened between here and there, you know, here at the state fair and you're just like, yeah. And then you get home and it's like, huh? What happened? What happened was the guy with the headset, with the pots and pans that need no water, with the mop that can absorb anything, with the sham wow, I heard somebody say, with the, the, the tiny grain of sand on your necklace, with the fancy nail polish that you just draw like a pen. It's so perfect. What happened? The person talking to you got your attention and captivated you by something. They brought something out in that product and it got you. That hook got placed and they had you and you forked out your money and you bought your thing and took it home and realized it was a piece of junk. 
took the kids to the mall yesterday. They got the As Seen on TV store. It's basically the Center of Progress building in the mall. And you go in there, and, 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 and Ethan's like, oh, it's the egg thing. You make the egg in the microwave. And it's, oh, it's my pillow. And it's, oh, it's, uh, you know, the Willie Robertson Chia Pet head. And, and it's just all these different things. And, and, uh, and there's this one product, and Ethan was like, Dad, we should get this. I'm like, son, I already had it, and it didn't work. He's like, what? Because he, too, had been captivated by the commercials, right? My generation's probably the first one that grew up with something called infomercials. They're not as prevalent as, well, they're not as prevalent for me because I don't have cable, but I remember being a kid and just watching these infomercials, watching men like Ron Popeil uh, with the Showtime rotisserie grill cooking a chicken in like, I don't know, it looked like 17 hours, but it took all day with this beautiful, succulent rotisserie chicken that you don't have to pay those high department store prices for. You could have it right in your home. Or just, just product upon product. The stuff, you ever see the stuff where it's like, you can just scratch your car with a nail and then you put this stuff on there and you can't even see it anymore. Or we're going to set the car on fire. Look at that. And then we're going to polish it out. And you're like, my goodness. And my all-time favorite, maybe not my all-time favorite, but it's my all-time favorite in this moment where I'm thinking of it, the Ginsu knife. Remember the Ginsu knife? You could cut through a car and then you could cut a tomato. It's like these knives were indestructible. Why aren't they making planes out of these knives? And why aren't they, you know, doing, making suits of armor out of these things? They're indestructible. Got a set of those ones, snapped one right away. Captivated. People who knew our human nature, people who knew our proclivities as a people in general. Now, some of you walk through those places and you're like, cool as a cucumber. You don't buy nothing. You look at stuff. That's cool. I'm going to go get the maple ice cream or the hot beef sundae like my wife, like myself, it's, you ain't gonna tell me nothing. But, but some people, they say that thing, it's like, huh? And they captivate you. And they know that they're gonna blow out of town in a few days. So if you got a complaint, you're going to corporate, you're not going to them. They just gotta, they just gotta move product. And so why did I share that all with you? Number one, it was kind of cool to walk down memory lane of the infomercial nostalgia. But number two, this is the warning that Paul gives us in Colossians chapter 2, to not be captivated by philosophy or deceitful teachings. And I want to warn you today that, that Paul gives this warning not to people in general. He gives this warning to the church. Why is that? Because there are real people within God's very real church who want to captivate you with fancy talk and lots of displays and smoke and mirrors so that you will give them your allegiance. See, corporations spend billions of dollars a year to do that. False teachers just tell you what you want to hear. They, they tickle your ear and then like, oh, that's what I wanted. And so there you go. And you're captivated. And so the warning, sure, we want to warn the whole world, but especially within the church, we are most susceptible because, man, we're called to love our enemy. We are called to turn the other cheek. And so even though we're protected by a great uh, savior, there is also a great enemy who seeks to devour us, the Bible says. And he will use men and he will use methods and anything he possibly can to take our attention away from Jesus. So turn to Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. It says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. 
For in him we have whole fullness of deity, uh, excuse me, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority. Our sermon series is called Fullness. And it's a little dim, but you could probably make it out. Fullness, the problem with the Colossian church is they were like, oh, Jesus, yeah, but, you know, I just feel like there's more. You know, I want to light a candle. I want to face a certain direction. I want to migrate or, or pilgrimage to a certain place. I want to I do something tangible that feels like I'm doing something. And so in that opportunity came in some folks called Judaizers. They were Jews by religion. And what they did was come in and say, okay, Jesus, that's, that's, a, that's a good thing. Jesus is good, but you need to start adding things to that. And so the people in Colossae said, okay, like what? And they would incorporate things like uh, the festivals that the Jewish people worshiped and celebrated. They would incorporate things like circumcision, which we're going to talk about in a couple weeks. That won't be awkward. Thank you, Jesus, for including circumcision in your gospel. Um, he's going to talk about certain foods to eat and to abstain from. And, and, and just basically what we would call legalisms to secure your salvation. And Paul's got to come in and say, no, no, look, look, look. Jesus is everything. Not just what he can provide, not just what he's forgiven you for, but Jesus is everything. Jesus is your all in all. You need nothing else to earn salvation before your Lord because Jesus has done everything to earn that salvation for you. And so now, just as a kind of a preface or a preview, if you want to celebrate Jewish festivals, that's great. Please celebrate the, the, fe the Feast of Trumpets and Tents and, and, and Passover and whatever you want to, want to uh, celebrate. That's great. There's a lot of festivals in the Old Testament that really were to unite the people together in one accord. I think that's awesome. But we can't cross the line to say, if you don't do that, you're not saved. You're not Christian. That's the part that Paul takes issue with. That's the part that we as a church take issue with. And we have to be careful with and not be taken captive by. Because there's people out there who will tell you to become more Christian, you must become more Jewish. And I'm not here to poke on the Jews. They're God's chosen people. What I'm here to say is that they were the ones that came in and started messing stuff up adding to the gospel. And the, God, the Bible's really clear. There's no reason to add to it or take from it. Take it for what it is. And that's what separates the car salesman, center of progress building, guy with the headset, spinning the saucer, or using the mop, separates that from us as the church. I'm not here to captivate you with really fancy words. Even Paul says, I didn't come to you with fancy words. We come in, it's literally like we have a dump truck or, or a pallet, uh, a forklift, and we just drop the gospel. Here it is. You're a sinner. Jesus loves you. He takes your sin so that you might live and rule and reign with him forever. Take it or leave it. I'm not going to make it fancy. I'm not going to put a bow on it. I'm not going to give you two of them for the price of one. You take the gospel. Here it is. What are you going to do about it? For all of us in here today who call ourselves Christians, we are Christians because we heard the voice of God, the calling of the Holy Spirit, and we said, yes, Lord, we need your forgiveness. Yes, Lord, we accept you as our Lord and Savior. And then from that moment, God took your life and began to change and change and transform and pull things out of you and convict you of sin and bring you into victory. I mean, he has led you from that moment till now. If you came into Christianity because somebody promised you something 
Or if you're watching today or listening to the sermon and, and maybe you're burnt out by church because somebody made a lot of promises to you and, and they didn't come through, I would, I would just suggest that maybe someone came to you like the ShamWow guy and tried to make Jesus a, a, a good, uh, give him good selling points and didn't preach to you the truth. Because the truth is Jesus loves you greatly, loves you greater, with a greater love than you can even fathom. At the same time, from this moment on, your life belongs to him. You have no control over the things that happen in the future. And for some of you, that scares the living daylights out of you. You want to feel like you are in control. You make the choices and you'll go the directions you want. You gave your life to Jesus. Now that is his responsibility, not yours. You can make, you can make wrong decisions. And I believe that based on scripture and what I see through the experiences of the apostles and such, that you can make wrong decisions in the right way, meaning, Lord, I prayed and I just, I, I don't know which way to go, so I'll go left. And I believe that God will correct that and shut that door and then lead you to the right where he wanted you to go. And, and that's okay. That's just sort of the life we live. But then there are those who in rebellion make this choice and God's going to correct you too. It's just going to be a little more severe. It's going to be a little more permanent because God's going to want you to see the error and the folly of your choice. In Romans chapter 1, there's this great talk about those who choose a sinful lifestyle rather than, um, rather than uh, worshiping God. They worship the creation rather than the creator. And God says, well, or Paul says that God's going to allow them to walk into that, to see the end of it, to see the result of living that life. So if you're involved in sin, God may, you might be thinking that, you know, well, God must approve it because he's not doing anything. No, God's going to let you see the end of it. God's going to let you see what happens when you live like this. And then at the end of it, you're going to be like, man, yeah, I see that. And you're going to repent. It's going to be awesome. You're going to, you know, you're going to get right back on track where you're supposed to be. But, you know, God's the type of God who says, you know what? You want to touch the fire? Let's see. Let's, let me let you see how much it burns. I'm not going to let you die. I'm not going to let you get, you know, severely burned, but I'm going to let you feel the heat a little bit so that you realize that, you know, that's not the choice to make. You can experientially say, you know what, that was, that was kind of dumb. Now, why would Paul warn us, Christians filled with the Holy Spirit, shouldn't we be able to see right through the wolves in sheep's clothing? No, here's why. Because the wolves in sheep's clothing um, they do a really good job of hiding their fangs. And so sometimes because we're so trusting and because we're so loving and because we just are expecting the best out of us people, especially within the church, we let our guard down so much that they come in really quickly. And before you know it, we're following some kind of false doctrine or false teaching. And there you go. Um, read a story about a minister who once told his congregation that if he didn't receive a certain amount of money, that, he was going, that God was going to kill him. The church was like, oh my gosh, what, what are we going to do? So they gave him the money. Now, you and I, we hear that and go, that's dumb. That's just plain dumb. But millions of people heard that and said, oh yeah, we got to give him money so he doesn't die. I don't know what kind of sin you're in where God's going to kill you, but money's not going to help you <laughs> in that situation. God has given us the Holy Spirit as an instrument of discernment meaning that he'll check us and say, hey, watch out for that. You know, that's red flags popping up. I mean, that's one of the Holy Spirit's job is to reveal truth. But sometimes we're going to ignore that. 
And that's why God's got to warn us. And why does he warn us? God warns us because he rescued us from captivity. See, one of the reasons we talk about sin so much is because A, the Bible does, but B, um, it was so serious that Jesus had to die for it. And C, we were in bonds, the Bible says. We were in chains. We were shackled. You ever watch, uh, remember the show Cops? My dad loved that show. We'd watch it like every Saturday. It was America's Most Wanted and then Cops or vice versa, something like that. I remember this one couple, it was a domestic dispute and I'll, I'll never forget it. It's been 30 years since I watched this episode. I still remember it to this day. Domestic dispute, but not the guy uh, abusing the wife. It was vice versa. And the wife had beaten the tar out of her husband and then taken like uh, an extension cord or speaker wire or something like that and she hogtied him. She had him back, legs, arms, all together like this, and the cops could not free him. It was so tight, I'm surprised the guy didn't lose a hand or a foot. He was bound and captive, and there she was. She was proud as a peacock. She just, she showed him. And so there's the cops, and they're laughing at him and stuff. He was just bound. There was not, that was us, that guy with the speaker wire and the electrical cord, tied up, bound and gagged, nothing, oh gosh, just, captive that was us and then jesus comes he severs those ties takes them from our our wrists and ankles and liberates us to freedom to worship him to follow him and the last thing he wants is for you to go back to that captivity you read the book of exodus and you read the the first five books of the bible and you read the 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 exodus of the of the jews and 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 they left they were released from slavery and they crossed over the Jordan and, and the, it was split in two, or the Red Sea rather. It was split in two and, and, and they saw these miraculous things. But then they got hungry and they were like, I wish we were still back in Egypt where at least there was food to eat. The Pharaoh was killing their boys. Every boy that was born was being killed to reduce the population of the Jews. It was eugenics. It was a, a, a genocide that was being imposed, but yet these people out in the wilderness, just a little bit liberated and free, were already looking back with these rose-colored glasses saying, oh, but we had meat in our pots, and there was, there was vegetables and watermelon. There was just so much good, and here's Moses taking us out in the middle of nowhere with nothing to eat and nothing to drink. I will, I will to my last breath, tell you Starving and naked in the wilderness with God is way better than a sumptuous fare in captivity. I would rather be alive in Christ with nothing than bound to my enemy, but well-fed. And so God is greatly concerned with you being taken captive by false teaching. It was in the church. See, sometimes we see, we see teach atheistic or agnostic teaching and we go, okay, well, they don't know Jesus. Obviously, they, they, they have some concerns and some good questions, but, but they come from a humanistic point of view. We have read the word. We've, we've met with God and been saved by Jesus. So we have just a different perspective. But when it happens within the church, we just assume that the guy on the platform with the tie and the fancy microphone who's, who's shouting a lot and saying a lot, he must be telling the truth. Why would they put them up there? Don't they, somebody, there must be a checks and balances somewhere that uh, makes sure the guy up here is telling the truth. But here's the secret. There is not. I mean, there are some churches, like our church, where, where I don't have total authority here. There's a balance between myself, 
the other pastors, uh, the board of directors, all of us working together seeking the uh, direction of God. So that I'm just not a dictator up here saying, you've got to do all this and give me all your money and I want a big jet and I want a big mansion and blah, 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 blah. That's not going to happen. Because we're, now, A, I don't want any of that stuff. And B, because we're going to hold each other accountable like that. But there are some churches where they're just up there and they just say whatever they want and everybody just falls in line because they must be saying what they want. Or excuse me, they must be saying what's true. And when you have people who won't read the word for themselves, that's a slam dunk. You, I can say whatever I want. You're not reading your Bible. I'm going to end up winning somehow. And it's going to be for my gain, not the glory of God. You might be saying, well, Pastor Tony, is that really true within churches? Not all churches. I believe in general, all churches are pretty good. They're not fancy. They're not you know, filled to the brim. They don't have the best instrumentation or the best music or the best facilities. But, but man, they just love Jesus and they just want to worship him. But there are some who have false teachers, who have false doctrines, who have false theologies that will lead you to captivity rather than freedom. And that's the contrast. You're either captive to something wrong or you're captive to Jesus. He is your, uh, you are a bondservant to him or you're a, bond, you're a slave to sin. There is no third direction. And so you might not understand all of that, but the word of God affirms it. And the word of God, if you read your word, you, you'll find it. And uh, I would encourage you to go home and read your Bible for yourselves. Read the book of Colossians. We've gone through a chapter and a half now. It's a short book. It's like five or six chapters. You can knock that out in 15, 20 minutes. If you go online and you read on esv.com or esv.org, that's the English Standard Bible, English Standard Version.com or .org, um, you can pull up any scripture or any chapter. It's all free. And then there are little things. You just click and it's like, oh, all the other, it's like a, a, a concordance or a, uh, one of those Bibles with all the connected scripture references. You can go through and say, okay, contextually, this is what that means. You can just, just, do, just do some simple study of the word and kind of filter out any garbage that's been taught to you uh, in the last 5, 10, 15, 50 years. A simple Bible, a simple reading of your scriptures without anybody else's uh, agenda or influence will reveal so much to you. Um, gosh, I wish I, I had the Bible memory uh, of some folks. I just don't, but there's a, a psalm that talks about the Lord giving you the desires of your heart. And I've heard that so many times manipulated into, well, God will give you whatever you think of in your mind or heart. You want it, God's going to give it to you. But the, the rest of the Bible says things like man's heart is deceitful. It lies to us. And so even as a spirit-filled Christian, I think there are times where I want something for my own selfish gain and, and ambition. Now, like I said, I went to the mall yesterday. I found a, a Taylor guitar. It was like 2,500 bucks. That's a lot of money for a guitar, right? And it'd be silly to think, well, I want it. God's got to give it to me. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like a spoiled four-year-old. That doesn't sound like a child of God. That's the kind of kid you hear in Walmart and you want to smack them. You don't. You don't. But you want to just for a little bit or their parents, one of the two, either one, you're smacking somebody because you hear them, I want my toy. I want my... And they start screaming at the top of their lungs. And you're like, my gosh, what did that parent do wrong? But yet we turn it into something spiritual and say, if you just do that with God, he gives you whatever you want. Really? God responds to our spiritual temper tantrums? Just give us whatever we want? 
I, as a bad father, the Bible says, or as in, uh, when, ref- when Jesus refers to God, the good father, and, and earthly fathers, I know that's wrong. How much more so is God not going to cave in for my whims? Do you know how many things, and maybe you're not like this, maybe this is just me, you know how many things I've wanted over the last 10, 15, 20 years that I just had to have, and now here I am 10, 15 years later, I can't even remember what they were. And in the moment I needed that, I, I could justify it, I could spiritualize it, and I didn't get it in time past, and I don't even remember what it is now. And in the moment I remember it being so important, but right now I fail to remember what it is. And so what I find is that God works this refinement in us where we, we go from wanting the things that we want to wanting the things that he wants. To the purpose of that scripture that God gives you the desires of your heart is that God is changing your heart from a heart of stone to a, to a, to a, a, a heart of flesh or a, a soft heart so that you would desire what he desires. So now my desires are to create missionaries who will go, whether it's uh, halfway around the world or maybe just someplace like Detroit here in our own country, just go there and, and, and preach the gospel and start churches. That's, that's my desire. My desire is that our church would grow here in Canastota, not so we just have a full church or so I can walk around and strut with my big church, so that people just know Jesus. I mean, they can know Jesus and go to another church. I really could care less. They need to know Jesus. They need to be saved. They need to call on the name of Christ. You know, I don't care how much money is given on a Sunday morning. I do want our bills to be paid, but we don't have to be this big, huge, affluent church with golden gates and, and, and skylights and, and, and a huge sign outside that, that blinks like a Las Vegas uh, casino. I just want to have a place where people come in and they feel safe and they feel loved and they hear the gospel preached in truth and in spirit. And I want to tailor guitar, but you know what? That goes on the back burner because that's not what's most important. This one up here, I've had this for three or four years. Somebody gave that to me. I was looking to buy one. And they're like, hey, I'll give you this one. It's an amazing guitar. I use it and Pastor Mike uses it. And I think Ben used it last week or the week before. It's just serving such a great purpose. That, that's amazing. I didn't do anything to accrue it and God just blessed me with it. So are there things that we're going to want? Yeah, I wish I had a car that was more reliable. That's not a bad thing. I wish I had a house that was a little bigger. That's not a bad thing unless it becomes an idol. If I don't have that guitar, I can't do anything. That's idol. If I don't have this house, if I don't have this car, if I don't have this relationship, now you're trying to put God into a box where he performs for you rather than you being a servant to him. And all these things happen because there are men and women out there who have taken people captive with teachings that basically say God is your puppet and you control the strings. You say the right word, you say the right prayer, God's obligated to give you what you want. And I don't know any dad in here who would operate like that with their own children. I don't see God doing that with his children. He loves us. He has forgiven us. He has made us the children of God. And as such, we are now his children. We're not inherently born as children of God. The Bible contradicts that in several different places. We are born in sin. We are born as spiritual orphans. And then we give ourselves to Jesus and we become the children of God. We now have that position in that place and that identity, not based on what we've done, but based on what God has done. First Timothy 6 and 20, going back to this warning 
Paul says, Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent battle, babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For, the profess, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. And that's the last warning he gives in 1 Timothy. Um, the last thing I want you to do here is to leave fearful. Like, oh, I'm afraid. Like looking at everybody kind of crooked. Like, what are you trying to do? Like, what are you trying to teach? What are you doing? I don't want you fearful. Uh, Paul says in the same book to Timothy, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. So to motivate you by fear is not the goal or to get you fearful is not the goal. God has given you the spirit of uh, his spirit that is love and power and self-control. But we are warned that there are folks out there that are serving their own purpose and goals. There are a few who are just caught up in it. You know, they just think that's the truth. And so they just don't question it. They respect their leaders and they kind of fall in line because they want to be a servant. And so they just take the teaching of the head guy and just assume it's the truth, don't research it themselves, and just kind of keep proliferating that, just sharing it with with other people. But the problem is the machine keeps going. And so what we're actively trying to do is just, hey, just get people back to the scriptures. Charles Spurgeon once said that if you want to show the crookedness of a stick, uh, don't tell people how crooked it is, just show the straight stick. So we're just going to tell the we're just going to tell people about Jesus, and the people are going to say, "Well, that that stick seems so straight, and the one I've been taught seems so crooked." Now that I see them together, now that I contrast the two, I see that these aren't the same messages. What gives? And then we'll sit down and we'll talk and we'll go through and we'll go to the Bible and we'll get our answers from that. Paul says, "It is." Philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. Philosophy is basically man trying to figure out man, asking questions, things like that. That in and of itself is not entirely wrong. But at some point you paint yourself in a corner because you are trying to figure out a problem with that which caused the problem. It's like you got a crooked house, so you're trying to measure that, or you're trying to level out the crookedness of it with a messed up level. You're not going to get any closer. You're just going to keep going in circles, making things worse. And so one of the things we do have to watch out for, not just within the church, but outside the church, is, is human wisdom that supersedes godly wisdom. Let me give you a really good example. And I don't share this just to be crude. It's literally a real thing. So let's say you are having troubles uh, in your marriage. And maybe those troubles go beyond things like money and time. It includes things uh, like sexual problems. Um, Human wisdom would say, well, you know one one thing you could do to kind of create that intimacy, to, to maybe make things a little better, is get yourself and your spouse a pornographic film, watch that together, And then that will sort of fix that problem. This is human, demonic, advice, philosophy 101. In doing that, what you have done is just added a new problem on top of the problem that already existed. And you're opening doors to to, to evil spirits that you have no idea that are now involved in all of this. You're now bringing in insecurities. You're bringing in unexpected expectations. I mean, you are just compounding 
The problem, you were putting out a fire with gasoline at that point. That is human nature. But human wisdom, human nature will say, well, that's a good idea. And I would say, that's the last thing you want to do. It's like, it's like having a spider in your house and burning the thing down. Some of you would say that's a legit thing to do. I would say that's a little drastic. Godly wisdom would say, look, you as husbands and wives, you were created for each other. You're like puzzle pieces that, that are different yet the same. And, and if you guys are having issues, we need to talk about what the real issues are, not just add new problems to it. Another classic, classic example of this, this wisdom according to, or this philosophy and empty deceit according to, to the elemental spirits of the world, Paul calls it. You're in a lot of debt, borrow more money. You owe a lot of money? Well, here, go borrow some more. Wait a second. I got to pay back that money too, though, right? Like, I'm not solving the problem. It's like, hey, you're in a hole? Just keep digging. Keep digging a hole. And then you'll get out of the hole. Like, that's ridiculous, right? But that's what we do. Hey, come get a home equity loan. Or, hey, get a second mortgage. Or, or hey, do this and then pay off your debt. How do I pay off debt? By getting more debt. But yet the whole world multi-billion billion dollar industry built upon people who see that wisdom and go oh yeah i think i could do that i owe 100 grand but i'll borrow 150 grand and i'll be out of that 100 grand hole all right this will work out no you just got deeper into the hole you just you just gave yourself a time where the collector the bill collectors aren't going to call that's all they're just going to call later they're going to wait you're going to fall behind again because you haven't changed anything in the problem Felt a little bit of Lewis Black coming out there for a second. Did you see that? That wasn't right. <laughs> but now I'm starting to understand why he's such a frustrated man. So we're warned. We're warned of human deceit. We, we, we see it just prevalent in our culture. And so there are even some who will say, well, you know, Pastor Tony, all that stuff you're saying is really good, but it's a little naive. I mean, come on. Give your life to Jesus. You know, he's just going to, He's going to take over my life. I think, I think that's good, but let's go ahead and uh, let's just keep doing things the way we, we did because we're, you know, this is grown-up stuff. Like literally, like this is the real world, okay? And, and that might work within the church, but outside in the real world, that doesn't work. Most idiotic, ludicrous thing I've ever heard in my life. As though somehow God is limited to the walls of this church, A. Uh, B, that he's not involved in your life intimately already, even as a non-believer, that he's not there watching you, looking at you, inviting you, that he's somehow, somehow just gone like a vapor. I see this most prevalent when you start talking about the election. We're just going to talk about politics in church. How about that? Say things like we, Romans 13 talks about praying for our leaders. And First Peter kind of reiterates that, that we should pray for people in high places and kings and leadership. This goes from the president to, uh, you know, your boss or your manager. Is anybody in position has been placed there for a reason and you need to pray for them. And some folks, yeah, they're so, they're so cynical that they won't do that. And I would just say, don't base your obedience on your cynicism base it on what the word of God has said. Is it naive to pray that our president would convert, give himself to Jesus, live for him every day, and, 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 and govern according to those principles? Is it naive? Maybe it is. Is it biblical to pray that? Absolutely. So you're only as naive as God has allowed you to be in that moment. 
So for me, uh, Pete mentioned Super Tuesdays. We pray every Tuesday, every tu- in our own homes, at our own times that we can. We, we think about folks who are running. You know, we, pr- we pray for uh, Hillary and Bernie and Trump and, and anybody else who's running locally or who their potential running mates will be. We've all got the opinions. We've all got the memes that we share. I don't care about any of that. All of that rhetoric is just, it's, it's, it's deafening us to what God has called us to truly do. I don't care who you vote for, but I want you to take time to set aside and, and, and pray for those who will be leading because God has called you to do that. Colossians 2 and 9. Colossians 2 and 9, Paul says, For in him, that is in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Empty deceit will always seek to dethrone Jesus. And Paul says, no. It starts, it ends with Jesus. Give your life to him. He is full of the Holy Spirit. You are full of him. And it is for that end that you have given your life to Christ. We pray, we sing songs, we, we worship because of what Jesus has done for us. And so I extend to you now an invitation to follow Jesus. I extend to you now an invitation to heed the call of him through his Holy Spirit. I may have said some fancy things. I may have, you know, told a funny story or two. I mean, that's debatable, but I mean, I thought they were funny. I might have brought up some good scriptures and good points, but at the end of the day, what is the Holy Spirit calling you to? I guarantee you in this moment, he is calling you to repent, to give your life to him, to receive the grace that he has for you, to live a life that is unlike any other walk you've ever been on, to walk in the assurity and in the faith and in the hope that Jesus not only loves us then, but loves us now, that he will return that we will one day be with him. He will be our God and we will be his people. I love the imagery that we're given of heaven, that, you know, the, in book of Revelation, the gates and the, the roads and the pure gold. And that's, that's great. I'm not really motivated by that here and now. Maybe you are. I, I just, you know, I got my wedding ring. That's about the only jewelry I wear. Um, To me, the part that impresses me in that scripture is that God will be our God and we will be his people. There will be no division. There will be no broken communication. There will be no separation any longer. We will be in his presence. He will be our God. The intimacy that we've so longed for will be complete. The Bible says there will be a big wedding feast of of the lamb. There will be this great celebration once we go to be with the Lord. That it'll be like a big banquet, like a big, super, spirit-filled potluck. But Jesus provides all the food and we just keep eating and celebrating this marriage supper of the Lamb. The, 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 the church, the bride of God, and Jesus, the Son of God, coming together and being one completely without division. And that's what we're aiming for and that's what we're going to. So I want to pray for you now. You know, so much of, you know, I don't want to raise up people here who are like me. You know, I don't want you to just know what I know. I want you guys to be 
Christian standing with Christ on your own. If you get moved from here to Alaska, you're the same person because you've got the same God. You're out of the church, you're out from this teaching, but you're still the same person because you've grabbed a hold of Jesus' hand and he's got yours and you're walking with him daily. And that's our goal here today. So if you would, would you stand with me? We're gonna pray. I'm gonna encourage you. I'm gonna challenge you to read the book of Colossians by the end of the day and keep reading it throughout the week. It's a short book. Like I said, even me with my, my mediocre reading skills, I can knock it out in like 20 minutes. Well, there's kids and job. Okay, well, I know at work you generally get a 10 or 15 minute break. That's a good place to start. Wake up a few minutes early. I never do that. Stay up a little bit later. That's generally what I do. But I challenge you to do that, to let the scriptures speak to you. Let the Holy Spirit change you. Let's pray. Lord, our goal here today is to do nothing less than to introduce your people to you. I do not have all the answers, Lord. I am not perfect. I have not reached some plateau that is unattainable. I am not a guru. I am none of those things, Lord. I'm simply just a guy who wants to know you more and help others know you as well. So I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would take these words, especially the words of your, of your scriptures. Now, my words are, are fluid. They can be tossed if you like, Lord, but the scriptures that warn us to not be taken captive, that we would, that we would see through your Holy Spirit the empty deceit and the philosophy according to the elemental uh, spirits of this world, Lord, that we would be able to see them that they would almost be, con that there'd be like a comparison where we could see the, the truth and the untruth. That Lord, no matter who is in authority or who is in front, Lord, that we would be men and women who take our scriptures and we read them ourselves. What a great privilege you've given us in this generation to have the scripture so readily available. Men of just 50, 60, or 100 years ago would be clamoring for this opportunity. May we not take it for granted, Lord, and may we hear the voice of your Holy Spirit. May it change us, Lord. May it bring us to repentance. May it bring us to a place of faith in you and what you've done. May you indeed give us the desires of our heart, Lord. Change our hearts so that we desire what you want. Change our hearts so that, so that it, it, it goes from wanting childlike things or childish things to wanting the things that you want. We want your kingdom to grow. We want real people to know you. We want people in abusive relationships to be rescued. We want people who have been abused and neglected since childhood to find a family, Lord. We want those who are lonely to know that they are welcomed in the house of God. And we want those who, who not only know they're orphans, but feel that they're orphans, to know that they can become children of God through faith in you. I thank you again, Lord for the blood you shed on Calvary, for the life that you gave so that we might have true life, and for conquering death so that we might live again. We praise you and give you all the glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.